Well, it's actually Saturday, even though I promised you guys uh, that we would have a show on Friday. Um, not terribly my fault, but uh, we did have power issues. We still don't have AC um, here in the office. So it is, uh, if my voice sounds a little strained, that is because I am in a sport coat and it is 88 degrees in here. Um, so it is uh, a bit warm uh, and I apologize if for whatever reason um, I sound a bit strained. But today we do have uh, more than enough interesting news. We've got more on COVID as the media has now switched back to talking about um, that uh, the, the Wuhan death, instead of uh, focusing on the economic damage that is pretty prevalent. We've got Facebook stocks dropping like a rock. Zuckerberg has lost um, $7, million, uh, $7 billion in terms of um, potential net worth. It's crazy. Uh, and we're going to tie that into Simon Black's theory of upside-down capitalism. So that'll go into the larger picture when we talk about stocks on the show. And we've even got, we've got airline companies that are showing signs of serious trouble. And we've got uh, a report that says it may cost companies more to have their workers work from home. This is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Stay tuned for the opening salvo. Well, this is Saturday, the 27th of June, 2020, and it is hot in here. Probably actually cooler outside, or at least will probably feel cooler uh, outside at this point. But you do what you got to do, right? But uh, that aside, I want to talk more about Simon Black's uh, theory, which is known as upside-down capitalism. Now, this sounds like some piece you'd find in The New Yorker that talks about how evil the West is and how evil capitalism is, blah, blah, blah. That's... Not what this is. This Simon uh, Black, who um, uses it's a pen name, but um, he owns Sovereign Man Investing. He's somebody who I follow um, very closely. He is somebody who I think is more than uh, well-educated. He's been able to... He's actually grown his company. He started here in the U.S., but he's actually grown enough to have... Uh, uh, he's opened up a European department, so he's got um, offices in the United Kingdom uh, and really is just somebody who has reached the highest heights of business and also doesn't take things laying down. He's got kind of a libertarian flair to it, hence the name Sovereign Man um, Investing Group. Regardless, I highly recommend his uh, newsletters. He... Uh, speaks about a lot of the same things that we do. But on the opening salvo, this food for thought here that we're going to set the tone with for the rest of the show is going to be about his theory, which he calls upside-down capitalism. And this theory has uh, five principles. Debt is wealth, loss is profit, uh, wokeness above all else, rich people are evil, socialism makes sense. And, of course, this is not... He's saying some of these in uh, parody, but his point here... Um, I think cannot be understated. And one of the things he says uh, is that companies, some of which, in fact, many of which are some of the most popular uh, investments, uh, you'll see things like the Motley Fool that's saying, man, I wish I invested in, uh, this is their advertisement stocking, man, I wish I invested in Netflix and Apple when it was just a couple cents. I'd be rich. Um, and that's what they're pushing to 
to the Motley Fool uses to push their uh, investment newsletter. Well, Simon makes the point here that uh, Uber, for instance, and this is the fourth quarter, uh, second quarter of 2019, lost $5.2 billion. WeWork, uh, if you remember that uh, company, I believe they might be, uh, I might believe they might be under at this point. Has uh, was a never-ending saga of burning through billions of dollars in investors' capital. That's right from Simon Black's article. But he also names Lyft, Snapchat, Slack, Tesla, Netflix. Even though Bloomberg has said that these are the most popular investments in the world, and I'm sure you've heard your friends talking about it. I'm sure you're, you've heard other uh, financial gurus talking about it. But these companies lose money. They're burning through billions and billions of dollars worth, and yet they, they have more than enough money coming in from Wall Street. Now, this is part of what we've been talking about when it comes to speculation. Because the idea is that these companies are changing the way we do things. And yes, Netflix has killed the DVDs. Yes, Netflix did kill Blockbuster. And yes, there's probably a lot of growth left. I'm not saying that there isn't or that it's unjustified. But it used to be when companies went public, part of the dividend, part of their profits were paid back in, in dividends. That's simply not the case anymore. A lot of the, not that they're not paying dividends, but the, the stocks are bought to be sold. People aren't interested in dividends. They're interested in making money on the stock itself. Companies in turn use investors' money uh, and, and borrow that, uh, le or so, I'm sorry, leverage that uh, in order to uh, attempt to make more profits. That There's nothing wrong with that necessarily other than the fact that it could artificially inflate the stock price. But to get back to Simon's theory, he makes a point to mention that uh, the most popular investments in the world and some of the largest companies in the world lose enormous amounts of money and have no plan to consistently turn a profit ever. He says because, and, th and there's a famous quote by the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan that the point of that they've reimagined the purpose of a corporation and it's not the sole pursuit of profits, but the animating force for achieving them. And Simon makes the point, whatever the hell that means. That essentially, you've got these people in there with these high-minded ideas about evolving capitalism. That a company or a CEO should not be worried about just going after profits. Again, with the baseline idea that profits are evil. Profits are not evil. Profits are the reward for benefiting society. But, again, that, that goes to a, a cultural argument. That, that is not the point of me bringing this up, but perhaps in the future we could, we could do a deeper dive on this. But my point is that the philosophies that some of the larger and largest companies in the world hold, or at least at the very top, it's not about driving profitability in the stock market, which again is their job as a CEO to bring profits back to shareholders. That's how they make the best impact as a CEO. If they want to promote themselves as some sort of sustainable company or whatever, that's the marketing department's job. But we're going to explore how, after just this 
prolonged lockdown from COVID, which we can get into all of that. I believe it's unconstitutional, and I will always believe that. But we're going to see exactly how it's starting to affect the largest companies, from Facebook to Delta and uh, and others. How the over-leveraging here, the fact that these companies haven't turned a profit and probably have few cash reserves to, to rely on, how at some point there could be a major collapse. And it's going to affect your wallet. Stay with us. So there's this uh, movement that's been started by the NAACP and uh, the Anti-Defamation League. Both uh, companies are essentially run by the Democratic Party that says because these Facebook and Twitter promote, promote white supremacist voices and hate speech, I mean, just because, just because they don't censor people who the left determines are dangerous... Uh, you know, doesn't doesn't mean that they are actively promoting uh, the worst parts of society. That's another topic for another uh, day. But companies, large companies, are pulling money, advertising money, uh, from Facebook. Whether it's the North Face, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's Ben and Jerry's, just to name a few. And Coca-Cola is not just the soda. That's all the subsidiaries, from Dasani to... Uh, vitamin water to Minute Maid and uh, uh, simply orange, orange juice, and just to, to name a few. Um, it is a, a large amount of revenue for Facebook. And then you not only have the Coca-Cola company pulling out, and you've got Ben & Jerry's, Popular Ice Cream, um, you know, the North Face. Basically, this has meant that Facebook's uh, stocks have gone down by about 20 bucks. That's an 8% decrease, and it comes out to $7 billion from Mark Zuckerberg. Now, you might say that, you know, oh, the companies are doing this for PR. Oh, hold on now. If they were seeing a good return on these ads, they would have ignored it. Or maybe they said, we're cutting our advertising budgets, not pulling out entirely. So the implication here is not only, uh, is that they, as a cover from pulling things from Facebook and, and social media are able to use this campaign, but also they couldn't have been seeing that much of a, a return on it over television advertising and print marketing and billboards and whatever else they use. Because a company, I don't believe, is going to willingly cut their profits tremendously like this. Now, maybe it comes back to what we were talking about in the opening salvo, where the new corporations that have reimagined everything and don't care about profits are just run by complete idiots and people who are completely blind to their jobs. And I don't think that their ideological affliction is that bad. And, you know, to uh, Simon Black's credit, I don't think... He mentioned that either. But my point is here, could this social media thing be overblown? What I mean is that if you own a small business or, or business in general, you'll remember in 2016, 17, we had that huge boon of marketing gurus and, you know, your Ty Lopez is the world. I think we mentioned this uh, recently on a Kevin Prendeville show 
maybe on our, our Monday episode. But you see this this pullout from Facebook and, and Twitter and all these sites, and you really got to worry. Again, like uh, Simon Black specifically pointed out Snapchat. Facebook bought Snapchat. Snapchat doesn't make money. They leveraged into the company, meaning that they didn't buy it with cash reserves. They borrowed against it, meaning that they've got a lot of corporate debt. You'll remember the scandal in which Facebook was selling uh, the data of all of its users. Well, that was a way for them to make money, obviously, because they hadn't gotten their advertising right, and they hadn't had a lot of people uh, advertising with the company. I think this is going to change how social media operates. Can you imagine if instead of using advertising or if, they, if advertising was just a portion of the way Facebook used money, how much safer they'd be? Like if they went to the subscription model and let's say you had to pay 99 cents on, on to use Facebook. Now they would get a lot less users um, simply because, you know, it's a, it's a paid service and that happens anytime you... Um, charge for something, but they would have a lot safer position, a lot more uh, of a, a reliable income source. They wouldn't have to rely on ads like this because the NAACP, Anti-Defamation League, I mean, they just crushed Facebook with one swift strike. I mean, it, it, it was just... an Again, I'm pointing to this because companies are using, I believe, companies are using this campaign as a front to pull out from ads that weren't making all that much money. That maybe this was on the table and now they have an excuse. That perhaps they didn't want to just outright pull it because there was some negligible return on investment. But now that there is a social push, I don't even think it's that much of a, I don't even think it's that much of a groundswell. You know, I, I don't think too many Democrats are running around saying Facebook is evil. But regardless, again, and I say Democrats I don't want to paint the entire left as a bunch of crazies, but you know you don't see you don't see conservatives doing this. Not that conservatives haven't called social media evil in the past, but you don't see them organizing campaigns to kill their funding. Which, in the wake of that scandal for Facebook, it's been to use advertising. And now Facebook's in a place where, you know, they're either going to have to increase the amount of money that they charge for advertising, or they're going to have to push a little harder for it, or they're going to have to change some model. I mean, again, perhaps, perhaps... We won't see that much of a change. Again, with the theory of upside-down capitalism, maybe people are going to be investing in them a lot more. Again, you see this uh, in the early weeks of the COVID lockdowns where speculators and people who thought they were smart when uh, the market tanked, people bought into 
um, healthcare companies. And I'm sure some people made good money. So maybe with this dip in stock price, you're going to see a lot of speculators flock to Facebook and you could see a rebound. But if a lot of people, especially in buy and hold strategies, especially when people are using uh, qualified money to be uh, invested in the market, I think Facebook and social media platforms were starting to become, not they weren't quite blue chip stocks, but they were on the safer side. And now one campaign like this, 8% gone, evaporated. And unless speculators come in, you know, I don't think we're going to see a quick rebound. Maybe we may even see a continual drop. Twitter's getting hit from the other side now with more uh, conservatives going over to Parlay. Been a movement started by Ron Paul. So you can, you add this in, Twitter's going to get hit. Can you imagine if, you know, Trump switched uh, the, uh, from Twitter to Parlay? This just popped into my head. Whole thing would implode. It'd be the next MySpace kidding of course but you know uh, uh, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Trump to do such a thing either way this just goes to show how frail business can be especially with publicly traded companies this is why buy and hold strategies or people who are heavily invested in them are getting screwed. Without speculators on your side, you could be invested in something that might be safe like this. What if you were invested in Delta? Which, perfect segue here, uh, uh, Delta has essentially said that they are warning their pilots that they're either going to be furloughed or, you know, they should take an, an early retirement. And Delta's been on a steady decline. They were pretty healthy for, for the airline companies. You know, we're not talking about uh, American Airlines. We're not talking about uh, Transamerica, you know, some of the defunct airlines. 2,500 pilots. They're basically saying that they're going to have to downsize. And you've got politicians still saying, you know, you shouldn't be flying. Even if even if tomorrow all the lockdowns ended and the coronavirus went away, people wouldn't be flying. You saw Hertz go down earlier this month. Why? People are scared even after the pandemic is ended. This is going to go on for years. So the fact that Delta is still hurting and we've had this extended lockdown, this is not good. 2,500 people, that's a lot of families affected. This is companies that have had to take out take bail money. These are companies, I'm not sure how highly leveraged Delta is. I don't think it's famously leveraged like a JCPenney or, or um, Pier 1 Imports. Heck, even Toys R Us was highly leveraged. This is not good. It's a lot of jobs. And again, I don't see a whole lot of speculators buying them right now. Most recent change was down by a dollar. That's a 4% dip. 
I think speculators are going to wait because I think I think this extended decrease in stock value is going to go for at least a couple months, if not maybe even a year, as people again don't want to fly. You know, the air in airplanes isn't so great anyways. So you throw that in with the fact that there's this virus around and even young people. I mean, from I know one person who, who got the coronavirus and they said it was terrible for about two days. Obviously, they're still alive and everything. But they said it was like a, a heavier flu for, um, for about two days. And then it turned into almost like a cold symptom for, I don't know, seven or so um, before, you know, dissipating. It still sounds like it sucks, though. And is Cancun worth it? And I think a lot of Americans, and you, you're going to see because people don't have the disposable income right now. 40 million jobs were lost. So you don't have the disposable income. You're not going to see as many people flying in the years following this pandemic. This is not good. And I think Delta is just an indicator of that. And I understand this has been a bit longer segment than we usually start off with. Um, so we are going to cut this segment short here. But afterwards, we're going to go into how companies and how working from home is actually going to, according to Fox Business, cost employees more or employers more than if they had them in-house. Stay with us. I think this heat is getting to me. I uh, Several of you have, have mentioned to me in the comments here, uh, for those who are watching live on, on Facebook um, or YouTube or wherever you get this, uh, the article um, and what I mentioned at the beginning of the show is that uh, employees are, are losing money, employers are saving them money, which makes a lot more sense, but also makes the article a little less interesting for me. Uh, probably should have should have had that one up in front of me, but uh, you know you do what you can. But uh, and this again comes at us from uh, Fox Business that uh, companies are saving as much as eleven thousand dollars per years uh, per year for um, workers that are staying home. Now again, this makes sense. You're not having to pay for the uh, the real estate if people are working from home. If you're a smaller company. You're not having to, you know, have a cafeteria, for instance. You're not having to, uh, you know, again, you're not having to pay for a meeting space. Perhaps there are less, you know, in-person meetings, so uh, people are putting less on company cards. I'm thinking about larger corporations here. But this article goes on to say that for employees, costs are higher. Um, for the average monthly cost, has gone up 108 bucks, which is rather significant. Um, and the biggest increase is for groceries, uh, which went up 182 bucks per month, and utilities up 121. Makes sense. People are home. People are using electricity. People are home. People are cooking from home. Um, you know, uh, but child care went down. Uh, public transport and gas went down. Again, you're seeing that uh, in oil prices. Uh, you're seeing restaurants down and, and clothing and dry cleaning down just four bucks. 
so again, you're seeing all these effects play out in the economy with whether it's businesses and restaurants closing or uh, the price of gas being artificially low. Uh, now, public transport has never made any money for the uh, for a lot of the cities, so that's not really a change other than people just aren't using it. But again, this is a problem. We have this problem of wage stagnation in, in, in the U.S., and we've had it for a while. Um, there's a study done in the 70s that pointed it out, and we haven't fixed it. Again, because we have the highest corporate tax in the world based on the idea that profits are bad. And what that's resulted in is, is companies not having the ability to or uh, simply not putting in their budget uh, the raising employee wage. Um, you're seeing a lot because companies are, are having to pay more in taxes. They're having to um, use a lot more of their cash reserve to in, invest in, in other projects. Um, and, and the worker gets hurt by it. And I don't mean to say that that um, you know it's the old uh, vision of the workers where they're slaving away in a factory all day. I mean, even in an office job or something where you're in a little cubicle typing away, um, even though you're providing value for a corporation, they the wage increase may not be all that great. Again, it's hard when over thirty percent of your profit goes to an entity that doesn't know how to spend it. But that's beside the point. The unfortunate effect is, of this is that you have this wage stagnation and you have costs go up at the same time. You have taxes that are going to go up. You have the fact that people are living longer that we talked about in our uh, finance, personal finance piece. All of these things are going to create a poorer worker. All of these things are going to hurt the middle class. All of these things are going to continue to hollow out the middle class. All of these things are going to create a greater divide between the haves and the have-nots. All of these things are going to create greater social unrest. Historically, we can look at times of unrest, and I think uh, the post-Napoleonic France is a great example of that. Now, not, not too many people, and I don't think, uh, I bet when we started the segment, you weren't thinking we were going to talk about the 1970 Paris Commune, but they traced their uh, grievances with the government back to their ancestors who fought in the French Revolution, where you have this abject poverty in France, and I'm talking about the French Revolution here, and then you have the exquisite wealth of Versailles. Now, by 1870, the Communist Manif Manifesto has been written, and in academic circles, um, socialist philosophies have started to develop. And you have a question of, of because ideas have consequences, you have people um, who are agitated because they don't have a whole lot, and they were taught that they don't have a whole lot because others have a, have a whole lot, have more than they do. And they are willing to create social violence in order to achieve their goals. Saw the same thing in Germany after World War I, where uh, during the Great Depression, you had 
uh, Krupp, and you had uh, these uh, uh, Meshermet, you had people who made their money off of, and I know I butchered that German name, but you had people who, uh, industrials, who made a lot of money in factories uh, and uh, industrial products. And then you had a lot of people where due to inflation, due to, to joblessness, due to a depressed economy, you had a lot of people who didn't have a whole lot. And that's what got Hitler elected. In the 20s, again, in the Great Depression, you had the same thing in England, where you had a huge cut to the military. Now, Stanley Baldwin was never gets any credit, but he was a good prime minister in the, in the sense that he really managed the Great Depression in a great way, avoided uh, a potential socialist wing uh, from rising in the United Kingdom the way it did in France, certainly the way it did in Germany. But either way, you saw a slower economic recovery, but you had an economic depression followed by radicalism, in part created because people didn't have a whole lot, and there were plenty of people who did have a whole lot. And the U.S. has always had this very strong middle class, where if you put your nose to the grindstone and you worked, you could at least have comforts. You could have the... You wouldn't have the, the glorious wealth of some of the, the highest people in, in high society, but you wouldn't have the absolute poverty of some of those below the line or close to it. You'd have comforts, your own house, your own land, your own car, in some cases too. And a lot of the people were happy with that. The middle class is one of the linchpins in, Western, in modern Western society. It's one of the greatest inventions of the late 19th, early 20th century. Maybe the greatest invention of the Industrial Revolution. But through years of this pseudo-socialist and now just outright socialist government policy, we're crushing the middle class. We've got corporations now who for years have been uh, uh, taxed unnecessarily here in the United States, which has in some cases contributed to them, to them leaving, which cuts jobs which has contributed to wage stagnation, which has hollowed out the middle class in the sense that people fall. They don't fall upwards. And now here you are, where you've got people who have been taught that the system is bad and they look around and they don't see a whole lot of benefit. And all it takes is just a match to send up, set off a tinderbox. And no, I'm not talking about the dating app. Now, am I saying that because costs went up by 108 bucks on average, the, the entire system is going to fall apart? No. And don't mistake what I'm saying for that extreme. But don't miss what I'm saying. This is going to create more social agitation. Because people are going to feel like they've been left behind. And if the financial industry doesn't show people how to create wealth and show people the true principles of wealth, we are going to be in serious trouble because people won't know where money comes from. They won't know how to make more. They won't know how to multiply it. And they'll feel like every time they've invested in the things that Wall Street and the financial institutions tell them to invest in, they lose. 
And I'm sorry, no one likes losing. Even the losers don't like losing. Ask any Cleveland Brown fan. I know, I don't mean to be depressing and, and, and angry for these, all these segments, but uh, as we wrap up here with the coronavirus in this final segment, I do want to make it clear that I think there is hope. I do think we can come out of it. We've been through worse, and so long as we're not shooting at each other, we have been through worse, and we've gotten on the other side of it. So for a message of hope, stay with us. So for our final segment, again, we're using uh, Fox Business, but this was written and this article was accredited just to the Associated Press. So I've got no idea who wrote this, but I do know one thing, and that is they're very scared of the coronavirus. And they basically say that nurses and doctors feel strain as virus races through Arizona. And it's true. Arizona has seen as one of the hotspots. Notice how, of course, they use a uh, Republican state. Nobody wants to talk about New York. Nobody wants to talk about the increase in Massachusetts. Nobody wants to talk about the increase in Pennsylvania. Because they aren't run by Republicans. But that's beside the point. Basically, this article talks about an interview with a nurse in which they said they can't believe that people are dying and there's been this increase and... Um, essentially that because we opened up the economy, people are dying and that we should feel bad for opening or even pushing for the economy to be opened. Now, I understand that this journalist, their job is pretty safe, especially if they work for the Associated Press. They probably make a good living. I'm sure they're married and their husband or wife probably also has a steady job. You know, academic types. Maybe they're a professor. Who knows? Again, article is not credited to anybody specifically. But for the 40 million people who don't have a job and don't know how they're going to provide for their family, their kids, maybe even their grandparents who are vulnerable to this flu the fact that the economy was destroyed purposefully and you've got politicians and academics and journalists who aren't threatened by it that are pushing so hard for it to remain locked down is really symbolic of where we are we've got the people who actually feel the effects of policy and we've got the policy makers and the policymakers see you as ways of getting what they want. And they will tell you what you want to hear in many cases. Now that goes for the left and right in many cases. We're experiencing that in Tennessee. I was somebody who was very on board with Governor uh, Lee. Now it turns out he's a hack fraud. And he won't be getting my vote. I'm certainly not voting for a socialist or Democrat or whatever, but I may just not vote. Which, by the way, if you live in a democratic country, it's also your right. If it's so horrible, this election between, you know, left and right or whoever's on the ballot, it's your right to not vote. Regardless, my point here is that this journalist, I would assume, is, is 
probably on the left. What is it, 80-something percent of journalists identify as left-leaning? Or is that professors? That's too hot. I'm forgetting that study. But there was a study that came out recently that said one of those two professions was something like 80% leaning left or, or very left. So it's a pretty safe assumption that this reporter, journalist, whatever you want to call him, doesn't like the current administration. And one of the ways that you destroy an administration is you destroy the economy. Whether it's Jimmy Carter, whether it's Gerald Ford before him, whether it's George W. Bush, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Sr., George Bush Sr., I told you it's hot. I'm losing my memory. One of the ways you destroy an incumbent president is you destroy the economy. And you say, look, he's so incompetent, he's taken away your jobs. But I think we'd be pretty stupid to blame this on the president. I would blame politicians who go on a power grab and decide that your small business doesn't matter, that your job and livelihood doesn't matter, and that you should bow before them you don't need church. You need to worship the state. I know it sounds harsh, but I'm just saying what they're implying. Because you know what? I have respect for you and your intellect. I don't think you're an idiot. I don't think you're somebody who needs to grovel at whatever governor's feet that you happen to be, uh, whatever state you happen to be in. I think you're responsible enough to know that there's a pandemic, and if you catch it and you're under 60 years old or you're not morbidly obese or have AIDS, you're going to be fine. Now, if you're older, again, or you're fat or, 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 or whatever, yeah, maybe worry. But stay inside. You don't need a governor through executive action saying, shut down your business or we're going to arrest you. You don't need a governor coming in, or mayor of a city with a threat of police force and arrest to tell you you can't feed your kids. To try and make you dependent on the state. That's the next logical jump. Is the expansion of the welfare state. Or people who are overqualified for their jobs. You might see a glut of that like you did after 2008. This could have been totally avoided if the governors, if the politicians, would just trust the people who elected them. And you know what? Maybe they're not so smart. And so they figure, hey, I'm not very smart, so the people who voted for me can't be very smart either. Maybe that's what their thinking is. Wouldn't be my thoughts. Like I said, I've got respect for you. You know, it's small, but... but um, you know, when watching movies and all that, sometimes you feel like they can insult your intelligence. And certainly if I was directing something, and, and I have written, I, you know, not uh, anything special, but, you know, I took a couple creative writing courses in, in college, and one of the, and the professor, who I like, um, you know, obviously we've got our political differences, but I like him, and uh, he said that one of the important things about 
writing and the successful writers is that they have respect for the audience. And I think the same should go for politicians. If you're willing to vote, you probably have some sort of intellect and know why you're doing it. You're not some drooling idiot that needs to be taken care of. So the fact that we have these articles from a media who isn't going to feel the brunt of this economy, isn't going to feel the effects of, uh, heck, let me just say this. If, if Biden gets in office, stocks will continue to drop because you know what's following is regulation. You know what's following is uh, uh, an abandonment of, of a lot of the Trump economic policies that created the most prosperous economy in U.S. history. And people invested in the market, whether they're they money managers, whether they are speculators, whatever, that we, whatever they are, whatever we've talked about, they aren't dumb either. There was somebody on, uh, I was listening to the radio uh, a couple days ago and they were doing an interview with um, someone from the Heritage Foundation who said that they've spoken with uh, the CEO of a large tech company privately, and he said, you know, and again, they didn't name which company or, or CEO, but he said, you know, behind closed doors, a lot of these people kind of root for Trump because he goes after China, he reduces regulations, makes it easier for them to reinvest. He makes it easier for them to be profitable. And again, if, if there is a blue wave and a lot of that goes out, you're going to see stocks drop. I'd say more so because, again, you've got a lot of speculators. And if they're assuming that stocks are going to drop and they pull their money out, stocks will drop, almost like a confirmation bias. And you'll see a slow, very slow regrowth. This isn't a good position we're in, and we don't exactly have a helpful media as this article demonstrates. But I want to leave you today in this heat, and I'm dripping with sweat. I still want to leave you with hope. Because for all of the social tension that's been going around, I don't think the American people are racist. I don't think all that many people in the West are all that racist. Uh, just the other day, I had a long conversation. I was at a gas station, and it was a little later at night, I don't know, 8 o'clock or so. And I had a long conversation with the gas station attendant. He was listening to a song that I hadn't heard in years. I mentioned it, and we ended up having, I don't know, like a 20-minute conversation. I like to talk, in case you haven't noticed. But he was black, and we talked about a number of different things. Not any of them had to do with me groveling because I was white or him feeling different because I was white or me acting differently because he was black. I think that's how most of America and most of the West operates. If somebody, if you're friends with somebody, you're friends with somebody. And things uh, like in NASCAR when they had the before everyone knew it was fake with uh, Bubba Wallace where you had uh, all these drivers and crew members push his car to the front and you had this great example. That's a good thing. 
not only are we not racist, we don't like racists. That's great. Now, you would think we're this awful, racist, terrible place if you read anybody in the media. But instead of reading the newspaper, go outside. Talk to your neighbor. Like I said, I have full faith in you. I have full faith in the American people. And people in general. I don't think you're a drooling racist idiot. No matter what anybody, any of the elites say. And because of that, because of that belief, I believe that we will get through this. No, I don't have any statistics. No, I don't have any news articles or any, anything to, to, to back it up. But much like a lot of things, when you have faith in something, it's almost stronger than anything else, isn't it? And I have faith in you. The people that built this country and the sons and daughters of the people who built this country, I do have faith in you. And I have faith that we'll right a lot of these wrongs once we've actually identified them. And that is the purpose of the show today and always. My name has been Kevin Prendeville and this is the Kevin Prendeville Show.